The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, Arena. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Vasquez rocks. Vasquez <laughs> rocks. Vasquez <laughs> rocks. Vasquez rocks. Yes, we'll explain that in a minute. Uh, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter where we're at SQPN, and leave us comments wherever you find us online. We'd love to hear from you. I want to tell you about another show in the network you are sure to enjoy called Catholics of Oz. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at SQ- Follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> not, th- not that Oz. Uh, the, the, the one on the other side of the planet from where we're sitting. Uh, you can find that at sqpn.com slash O-Z, Oz. So I want to start uh, our discussion today with some sad news that we, we should bring up, uh, which yeah. is that... Uh, the Star Trek community has lost Nichelle Nichols, the original Uhura from Star Trek, the original series. She passed away recently, as, as you're hearing this a few weeks ago. And uh, she'd been ill for oh, quite a while and had been in decline, declining health. So it wasn't, um, wasn't surprising. I mean, all of the, these actors are now, the surviving ones, are all elderly uh, now anyway from the original series. Uh, but uh, the, quite a the loss. Only ones, the only ones yeah. we have left are. Um, William Shatner, yep, and George Takei, yep, and Walter Koenig, yep, yeah, uh, yeah. I think yeah, that's right. They're all the rest of all past. So, um, Shatner survived. Yeah, I mean, he's Shatner is ninety now. I think if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. I think so, George Takei is determined to outlive him, though. <laughs> yes, I think so. They 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 have a, a uh, famous animosity for one another. Uh, but Nichelle Nichols, uh, uh, as we all know, was a groundbreaking actress at the time when Star Trek came out. For her to be an officer on the uh, bridge of a ship was seen to be a a big deal, even though, you know, as communications officer, it may not have been the most glamorous of, of roles. She had a major role in the story, in, in, the, in the show. Um, there's a famous... She was a, ma- she was a major yeah. presence. She also yeah. finally, in the animated series, got to take command of the Enterprise, which was great. Right, right. We talked about that one. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Uh, there's a couple famous stories about her. Uh, one of them involves like when she was first offered the role, she wasn't going to take it. She didn't want to uh, to do the show for various reasons, and she ended up talking to Martin Luther King Jr., who encouraged her to to do this role to be a to, visible to, presence to, to stay in the role. To stay, um, because right. she'd already, after she'd accepted it, she'd been on it for a season and was thinking about quitting. And he talked to her and said, "No, no, 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 no. You're you're showing that we can do this and we can yeah. be accepted in the future. So you need to stay and do it." And she did. Yeah, thank you for correcting that. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, she wasn't sure whether she wanted to stay because she felt like she wasn't getting enough to do. Like she wasn't it was making Tasha enough. Yar syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So, and I'm glad, I'm glad they, she did because, uh, she's been a wonderful presence in Star Trek ever since. And as that part of that advocacy role, she uh, later on, um, was known for 
being um, an advocate for NASA for women to mm-hmm. be involved in space and in uh, science uh, and ma- apparently made a big difference. A lot of women who are in those fields now attributed their going into those fields partly to Nichelle Nichols's influence. So, Yeah, I remember during the space shuttle program, they had Nichelle Nichols as one of their spokespeople, and she was you know urging people to get involved and potentially consider this as a career. Yeah, yeah. So, um, may she rest in peace and uh, Amen. En- enjoy the, the 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 beatific vision. We, we hope. Uh, all right, so let's talk about an episode in which Nichelle Nichols appeared. We're going to be talking about Arena. Uh, this is the famous introduction of the Gorn into Star Trek, and that's become even more important with the Strange New Worlds uh, bringing back the Gorn as a, a major uh, antagonist. Uh, so before we talk about this episode, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? This week, the Enterprise arrives at a remote outpost on Cestus III at the invitation of Commodore Travers, who asks them to bring down their tactical men to help him consider a special problem. But when they beam down, they find the outpost was decimated days ago. All but one of the colonists has been killed, and they were led into a trap with false radio messages. The alien ship that did the devastating then attacks the Enterprise, stranding Kirk and his party on the ground, Eventually, Kirk's party uses a grenade launcher to attack the unseen aliens on the surface, and the alien ship beams up its people and leaves. This lets Sulu beam up Kirk, and they go in chase of the alien vessel. Kirk is convinced that this was a prelude to an invasion, and like Captain Ahab, he is determined to destroy the alien ship and prevent it from reaching home. As the Enterprise and the aliens are passing a star system, they are scanned from that system and then frozen in space. The new aliens introduce themselves as the Metrons, and they say both ships have intruded on their space and are uncivilized aggressors. They announce that there will be a trial by champion to settle the dispute. Kirk and the captain of the other ship are transported to an asteroid to settle the quarrel. Whoever kills the other wins, and their ship will be allowed to go free but the ship of the loser will be destroyed. At this point, halfway through the episode, we finally see the alien captain, and he's a lizard man known as a Gorn. Kirk and the Gorn attack each other a bunch. Kirk is weaker than the Gorn, but faster and more agile. The Gorn captain reveals that, from the Gorn perspective, the Cestus III outpost was an invasion of Gorn space. And so their motives in destroying the colony were essentially the same as Kirk's motives to kill the Gorn ship and thwart an invasion that he perceived. Kirk is losing to the Gorn captain, and he knows he has limited time left, but he's able to use mineral deposits he finds on the asteroid to make a primitive cannon out of bamboo. He fashions gunpowder and uses enormous diamonds as projectiles. He shoots the Gorn, gravely wounding him. But he refuses to kill him. One of the Metrons then appears to Kirk, who says that he showed the advanced trait of mercy, and maybe in a few thousand years they can make a treaty with the Federation. But, he says, don't call us, we'll call you when you're (laughs) ready. And afterwards, Kirk is transported back to the Enterprise, which is itself thrown 500 parsecs across the galaxy in a show of Metron power. The end. It's 1,500 light years. That's a, quite a ways, uh, as we've discovered with uh, yeah. Voyager. Yeah. Um, so the uh, interesting aspect of this, 
just in my my memory of this, I hadn't seen this in a long time. I, I remember seeing this as a kid and being mm-hmm. freaked out by the Gorn, and that probably affected my uh, ability to watch this again. <laughs> it, it's amazing how much the Gorn is a visual is is visually impressive in this episode. I mean, the makeup yeah. looks you know hokey today, but it's still yeah. for the time it's really impressive, and it distorts your memory of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I noted it's not until halfway yeah. through this thing that we even see the Gorn. Um, my memory of this is, okay, there's a little scene at Cestus 3 in the beginning, and then we get to the asteroid. And right. it's like, no, half of the runtime is before we get to the asteroid. I was kind of surprised by that myself. I was like, wow, there's a lot of story here before we ever even see the Gorn. But yeah, it just makes such an impression, or it made such an impression the first time I saw it, that it kind of filled up my memory of the whole episode. So yeah, that yeah. It was quite impressive. They also uh, in the before we get to the asteroid, they really build Kirk up as an Ahab, where mm. he's just like he's gonna he is gonna harpoon this white whale. He is gonna kill it before it gets back to its base. Spock is trying to talk him down off the ledge, but he is just adamant he's gonna kill these aliens. And and that's setting us up for the reveal that well, the aliens thought we were invading their space. And but before that point, it's like these are really ruthless aliens, and and then it turns out, oh, there's another perspective on this. They thought we were invading them, and so they're they have essentially the same motive in killing all those humans that Kirk had in wanting to kill them. You know, and the writing, the script itself plays on our own preconceived notions about like if we see, and, and in fact, Kirk says this in his uh log his little uh, diary that that he he's recording on the cest on the uh, asteroid we see this creature and we just assume it's a brute, a brutish creature it's it's a it's a just a, a a lizard a reptile but the gorn from the very beginning show quite a bit of cleverness i mean they're able to fake mm-hmm. the message from the commodore to such a degree that it fools people who know him well and who know his voice, because we hear the imaginary Commodore's voice on the phone at the beginning of the episode. Right. Uh, so, and, and they're obviously, the Gorn are trying to either kill or capture the Starfleet, t- you know, tactical team that's aboard the, the, the Enterprise, um, either to capture them to learn more about Starfleet's tactics, or to kill them so that it's easier to destroy the, the Enterprise. I, I, I'm not... Not, maybe both, so uh, th- that's possible. So it's it's really interesting to see how they set up the Gorn as being quite clever and capable from the start. The Gorn, once they get to the asteroid, the Gorn is also, even though he's slower than Kirk, he's he's acting smarter than Kirk yeah. for a lot of it. I mean, he's he's. Th- you can tell that more time goes by than what we actually see because the Gorn has built traps for Kirk. Yeah, you know, Kirk has just been running around looking at stuff and trying to evade the Gorn, and the Gorn is using that time to make an obsidian knife so he can stab Kirk with it, and he's made a trap with like vines for ropes and rocks for weights that Kirk runs into and gets tangled up and caught. <laughs> the Gorn captain has really been efficiently using his time, whereas Kirk is just running around like not knowing what he's doing and he keeps going the metrones and he keeps pronoun- everyone pronounces it metron <laughs> even though the metrons pronounce it metron yeah and and in greek it it would be pronounced metron because that's an omicron not an omega right um the word metron means measure in greek 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the Metrons are kind of taking the measure of the humans and the Gorns. But Kirk is, is like, what the Metron said was there are things on this asteroid that will let you make weapons. But Kirk is like, he said there's going to be a weapon. Where's the weapon? Where's the weapon? Where's the weapon? It's like, no, he said you can make one. <laughs> Start yeah. looking for weapon components. Yes. The Gorn was apparently listening, but uh, Kirk was not. Uh, and if the Gorn was not comically slow moving, mm-hmm. Kirk would be totally toast through this. I mean, it yeah. just has to be like almost co- like I said, comically slow moving. I mean, maybe it was but, really cold on this planet, <laughs> yeah, but very powerful. Yes. Um, he's clearly much stronger than Kirk. At one point, Kirk smashes him with a boulder from the top of Vasquez Rocks, yeah. which is a very common land formation. It's a land formation here in California out outside of L.A. that is very commonly used for, um, for fil- as a filming location. They used it a bunch in early Star Trek. It's been in a bunch of other stuff. It has the pointy rocks. Yeah. Uh, so when you see the slanted pointy rock formation, that's Vasquez Rocks. And and Kirk is up on top of it at one point, and he he lobs this boulder that hits the Gorn captain dead on and smashes him to the ground. The Gorn captain had a boulder fall on him from yep. 100 feet in the air, and he gets up. Yeah. It's like, wow, <laughs> this guy is tough. <laughs> yeah, they, they're hard to kill. Uh, so... Uh, let's go back to the the beginning. This is an interesting scene of the in the transporter room at the very beginning, where they're about to beam down. And there's a funny line that uh, McCoy and, and Spock have. Uh, you know, a little exchange they have. Uh, McCoy and Kirk are salivating at the Commodore's legendary hospitality and the meal that they are anticipating they're about to have. And Spock accuses McCoy of being a sensualist, and McCoy says, "You bet I am." <laughs> Actually, he says, you bet your pointed ears I am. <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he also, McCoy also says, oh, they've been eating reconstituted meals. I'm like, what happened to the chef who was making uh, turkey dinners uh, not long ago? Uh, so a little Maybe inconsistency. Charlie X sealed his <laughs> mouth or something. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so after they beam down, we have this very interesting matte painting of the destroyed colony, which, uh, you know, I saw and you maybe you saw too the remastered special effects that they have now but i i've seen i remember and i've seen yeah, i saw I some saw pictures the of the originals yeah and they didn't look half bad they were actually pretty good even back then mm-hmm. for the, for yeah, the time they have they have a practical fort that they've redressed with some science fiction signs that say life support level d and stuff like that but yeah but um at the time uh, you could see other stuff in the background that they used a matte painting to get out of the shot. Right, right. Uh, so, and that's when they come under attack from the Gorn using mortars of some sort. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the Enterprise also comes under attack and, and so it can't beam them up. Also, so there are a bunch of firsts in this episode. Uh, this is the first episode to establish Warp 6 as yep. their normal cruising speed. And everyone is like getting nervous when they go to warp seven and they're even more nervous when they go to warp eight. This is the first episode to refer to Starfleet. This is the first episode to name the Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the introduction of Starfleet is notable. Previously, they had called it the United Earth Space Probe Agency or USPA. Mm-hmm. And they actually use the word USPA on screen, but now it's called Starfleet. 
This also is, they've previously used the phasers, but this is the first time they use photon torpedoes. So this episode introduces photon torpedoes, and it is the first episode to establish that force shields block transporters so oh. that you can't, you can't beam up when the shields are up. And okay. so this is the first to establish that. Yeah, there's a lot that this this episode really kind of sets in stone for the you know the next sixty years of Star Trek, and it's kind of interesting. Yeah. On the other hand, there are things it comes up with that are never used again. Like um, at one point when they're on the planet and the Gorn are shelling them um, with some kind of laser weapon, um, they lock onto Spock's tricorder and cause <laughs> it to explode. And yeah. he just like pitches his tricorder away just in time as it's overloading. And that, to me, that's a little bit like they've locked onto my iPhone and are going to make it explode. So, <laughs> okay. I didn't know it was designed to do that. It, it, I mean, I suppose if you fiddle with the battery, I mean, a battery is get a lot of a, potential energy. So it is a little Mr. Robot. Yeah. <laughs> they also have a weapon that we never see again, which is a grenade launcher. Yeah, they've got these little blue billiard balls that they put in a grenade launcher and it launches them and they're they're really powerful deadly, really yeah. powerful. I called it the mega mortar in my notes cuz it that's, uh-huh. that thing is a huge mortar. <laughs> yeah, it also it occurs to me that it and I don't know if this is intentional, but the two halves of the episode mirror each other in a couple of interesting ways. In both the ultimate solution to the immediate problem is Kirk uses a grenade launcher. Hmm. He uses at on Cestus three, he uses the Starfleet grenade launcher to shell the Gorn. And that's what causes them to leave, which is the Im- immediate problem that needs to be solved so they can beam up to the ship. And then in part two, he builds a grenade launcher. I mean, they call it a cannon, um, but it's a bamboo, it's a short bamboo tube. He puts giant diamonds in it and he shoots them at the Gorn. And so you have the same solution for the immediate problem in both. What's different is who's the perceived invader. In part one, when Kirk uses the grenade launcher, he perceives the Gorn as the invaders of Cestus Three. But then at the end of, of the second half of the show, Based on he's based on what his conversation with the Gorn captain, he's learned the Gorn perceived the humans as the invaders of Cestus Three, and it's like wow, there's this interesting symmetry here between these two halves of this episode. Yeah, and and it, it's kind of interesting that you know, like yes, the the Gorn the, the perception of who the invader is is different, but the Gorn are the ones who slaughtered everyone. Like they and Kirk was going to do that too. He was going to kill everyone on that alien ship. Without Although, even finding anything out about the alien ship. Maybe right. it's the Enterprise D, it's the Gorn Enterprise D, and it's got little kids on it. It's possible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is kind of weird that Starfleet would put a colony out here and know virtually nothing about the area. Yeah. Like They say that. There's virtually nothing known about this area of space. <laughs> like, Well, maybe you should have done some more, you know, surveying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing I want to, before we move away from the, the battle on Cestus three is uh, they have this several episodes, parts of the, uh, of the scene where first Kirk and then Spock have to like run zigzag through the explosions. Um, I think uh, Shatner looks a little more athletic doing it than, or at least Shatner's double uh, than Nimoy or his double do. But uh, in any case, 
uh, Shadner, Nimoy, and, and um, Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, all suffered lifelong tinnitus from these explosions. I mean, Shatner, like, very bad tinnitus, apparently. Uh, it, it, if you get tinnitus, it, it's really, it's a it's a bad condition. It's drive you half mad sometimes, I think. Um, yeah, they, so, they all got permanent uh, nerve damage in their ears because of the mistimed explosions in this episode. There were some pretty close explosions to them. Um, so uh, the other thing I, I thought was notable here was how Kirk's number one priority is protect the ship. He orders Sulu to warp out of orbit, get you know, get the ship away, leave us behind. The, your number one priority is is protect the ship, which you know I mean it makes sense. It's the, the, you got four hundred people on a ship, and, and the ship is very important to the security of the Federation versus you know a few people on the surface. So I, I get it, but uh, but that it kind of extends this idea of how. Kirk has this relationship to the Enterprise that uh, supersedes everything in, in, in some stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do rescue one surviving colonist. And I wanted to point out that that syncs up with what they've established in, um, in Strange New Worlds, that the Gorn do, as part of their ritual culture, leave one survivor when they attack something. Right. And, and that's this guy that we meet and who gets a few lines. Um, and uh, he's the designated survivor and they killed everybody else. Right. Right. And he's kind of, you know, hysterical in sick bay talking about the brutality and the seeming unprovoked nature of the attack, which is something that sort of fuels Kirk's Ahab like drive to, to, to take revenge on them. Um, now we do have a bit of a paradox here as people have pointed out before, which is that, Spock has seen the Gorn. He's, in fact, we've seen him do battle with uh, young Gorn uh, uh, on the Enterprise, or not on the Enterprise itself, but when he was under Captain Pike's command, and yet never says anything about them in this episode, having seen them before, which is obviously no. because this was written before. But it's kind of yeah. funny that they've, they've made this, uh, the writers of the modern Star Trek have made this paradox and don't seem all that concerned about it, which oh, I, doesn't probably me just lot, establish that at some point Spock is forbidden to ever refer to those events like <laughs> his sister for reasons. Right. And we've uh, deleted all of the uh, records of discovery, etc. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like you said, Kirk concludes that this is a prelude to invasion an attempt to destroy the Enterprise because it's the only Federation ship in the area, which Sounds like the, the Starfleet's oh, pretty I've heard thinly that one spread. Before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but Spock has the you know the logical conclusion that there could be other reasons for this happening, and mm -hmm. he doesn't push too hard though. I I think he's kind of learned some that uh, you know you've got to be judicious with Kirk when he's like this. I think. Mm -hmm. um, but sort of like in the Balance of Terror episode, they conclude that if they can destroy the enemy vessel before it gets home they won't dare to invade because they won't know the Federation strength. Uh, and, and, and like I said, this, it, that's very similar to balance of terror with the Romulans. Mm -hmm. So yep. I thought that was interesting. They went back to that again. And it, it, Spock, like I said, was, was wondering, he comes back with this wonders, is it enough to just pursue the ship? Do we have to destroy it? And Kirk's like, Nope. If they go unpunished, they'll be back. And again, making a lot of conclusions about an alien species, you know, you know, nothing about in this, mm -hmm. in this case. Yeah, they. I mean, it would have benefited from more research and so forth. Um, but you know, 
this episode is called Arena, so we've got to get Kirk <laughs> and that Gorn captain into an arena. I know. We've already halfway through the episode, and we haven't gotten them there yet. Yeah. And incidentally, the title of the planet, or the name of the planet they go to, Cestus Three, is itself foreshadowing for an arena, because a Cestus was a kind of boxing glove that, uh, that uh, Roman gladiators would use. Only it's not like a modern boxing glove. Modern boxing gloves are made of padding. Ancient boxing gloves are made of wood. <laughs> I bet those were you short like boxing matches. <laughs> strap them onto your hands. Yeah. Nice. Ouch. Um, so that, this is a, the point in the story with the, uh, the, the chase, the big chase, um, where alien, the Metrons stop them dead in space uh, and scans them. And okay, let's talk about the Metrons for a second. Yes. They're sitting out here in space. They are apparently really xenophobic. They they don't want people flying through their space. And they grab these two ships and and put them in this trial by champion situation where um they say there will be stuff on the planet you you can use to make weapons to kill each other since that appears to be your intent. Mhm. And Okay, there's just so much here. Um, if you're really this xenophobic, not attracting their attention <laughs> right. could have been an option. Letting let them just fly through your space. It's apparently not very big, you know, because they're heading back for their own Gorn space. So just let them fly back to Gorn space. Let the Enterprise chase them. Let them kill each other or not, however they want. Why are you grabbing them and putting them in a trial by champion situation? I also thought it was weird that the the, the Metron complaint is you've brought your savagery and you're fighting to our space, so now we're going to make you fight. Like, yeah, wait a minute. maybe just maybe <laughs> let don't them let them fight. fight. Let <laughs> yeah. them fight. It's like <laughs> what's going on here, it, right? And the the whoever loses between the two captains, their ship gets destroyed. Everybody uh, dies. Yeah, it's like. Wait a minute, guys. Um, if so, we we built this ship as a group. We're here as a group. If I'm going to die, I want to be able to use everything we've got in this fight, <laughs> and that includes me. Yeah. Um, why are you arbitrarily grabbing these two guys and and letting everybody else's life or death be decided by them? Yeah. This this is a this was a collective enterprise. It should be a collective enterprise. Let us do it as a collective enterprise. Also, if uh, you know by by isolating these two champions away from all of their technology, you're changing the strategic balance of power. Yeah, you know these we built weapons for a reason. It was to compensate for our own. It was to improve upon our own you know limitations and so you know we made a warship let us use our warship in fighting our war yeah it's it, the 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 metron motivation for the for doing this sort of thing is very unclear and sort of contradictory it, it doesn't mm -hmm. make a lot of sense um so they get beamed to this asteroid or you know planet and um Kirk has, you know, we hear him uh, in a voiceover talk about his instinctive revulsion toward reptiles, and he needs to remember it's not just a creature, but 
a dangerously clever opponent a captain of his own starship and then immediately forgets <laughs> yeah and this is also pretty i mean okay it's the 1960s but it's also kind of speciesist yeah you know i mean if if okay you've seen enough strange aliens already this shouldn't this is just another one yeah i don't i i mean i'm just a 21st century science fiction fan and i'm going oh cool it's a gorn right. i'm not revolted by it yeah. Um, but they really give us lots of reaction shots of Nish- once they get it on the phone towards the end of the episode, you know, once the, the Metrons start live streaming what's happening in the fight to the Enterprise, because your captain's about to lose, so we'll let you watch his agonizing death. <laughs> it, they, they have all these reaction shots, at least three, of Nichelle Nichols being revulsed by the sight of the Gorn on the screen. Mm. And it's like, really? It's just a lizard man. <laughs> It's not right. that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's not that ugly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could be scared by just if you have a snake phobia or something, I guess. In, in any it's case. Not a, it's not a snake. It's a lizard. <laughs> I know. I know. We were biologically programmed to be hesitant around snakes, but lizards are just, oh, there's that lizard again. Big oh. deal. You'd be surprised how many people don't make, don't make a distinction oh, <laughs> between them. Okay. <laughs> So uh, one way that also that the Gorn is smarter than Kirk is that Kirk doesn't real the Metrons gave them each a translator slash recorder, and so Kirk's like, "Oh, cool! I can record my my deepest innermost thoughts into this." And like, yeah. dude, you're transmitting the the Gorn can hear everything you're saying, and is thus going to be able to use that against you in the in the fight. Yeah. Also, and what Kirk should have done is used it to feed disinformation to the Gorn. Right. Um, but, uh, and this is another weird aspect of the Gorn thing, I mean, of the Metron thing, because they say they're giving them these recorder translators to preserve a record of this so that other people in the future can be deterred from coming into their space, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, um... But why do you, why does it have a party line on it? <laughs> right. You know, and I if also I am if I'm the human captain, I'm not going to be running around confessing to this thing. I'm going to be building weapons. Well, right. And if your ship is going to be destroyed, how is this record going to go back to your yeah. people to deter them? Yeah, yeah. I, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but the Gorn does keep his mouth shut on the party line and just listen to Kirk and find out what's going on with Kirk, who's just blabbing everything that happens like a silly monkey boy. <laughs> You're right. And I also find it interesting, this is a dialogue flaw, once the Gorn finally starts talking to Kirk, he calls him an Earthling. Earth has not been mentioned. Yeah. How does he know to call him an Earthling? Well, I mean, they call... They call uh, Cestus Three an Earth colony, so there's yeah, it, maybe okay. Earth is often the substitute for Federation in this, and they they obviously f- learned enough about the Commodore at the beginning to be able yeah. to. So they yeah. must have learned okay. something That's about fine them too. Yeah. Which only brings up the fact the Metron scanned them and talked about all your history of barbarism that we learned from your computer banks. Didn't you see the other stuff too besides the violence? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> The, the, these you know, Metrons seem obsessed we, with violence, even though they they claim to eschew it. So. Yeah, it's like we yeah we had a World War Three, and then we built a starfaring civilization that is a utopia, it predicated in, on peace. Yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so oh, the human. Oh, 
Yeah. But I was going to say, so towards the end, um, when the Gorn is going, I'm getting tired of this. Why don't you just stay, pl- stay put and I'll come kill you quickly. Um, Kirk has just been talking to his device saying, it's, it's, uh, I'm so tired. I'm going to, I don't have much longer. I'm just running out of energy, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, this is biologically wrong. Humans have slow twitch muscle fibers. There are two kind, two major kinds of muscle fibers, slow twitch and fast twitch. Humans have lots of slow twitch. And what that means is we're not good at sprinting. Lions can totally generate faster bursts of speed than humans can because lions have more fast twitch muscles in their legs, uh, nerve muscle fibers. Humans have slow twitch ones. What that means is we can't run as fast, but we can run way longer. Lions, a human can outrun a lion in distance. The lion will get tired, and humans can just keep jogging all day. Um, in fact, this was in the Paleolithic period, a common hunting technique. You, you, you know, you find the traces of some animal and you just start following it. And even if the animal runs away, you just keep following it because the animal is designed for sprinting, not for marathons. And eventually the, the animal will get tired and you can kill it and eat it. Um, so this is a known human hunting technique. If the Gorn is, is slow and muscle-bound compared to Kirk, Kirk should be able to outlast the Gorn. Yeah, although Kirk is injured uh, by this point the, with the Gorn uh, tr- boulder trap that landed on Kirk and injured his leg. So that, that could sap some of his endurance. Um, mm, yeah, and- but he's also dropped a boulder on the Gorn. Yeah, well, <laughs> the Gorn shrugged it off. So I don't know if, he, if it mentioned him. <laughs> so the uh, the human advantage in evolution was the, our development of tools, right? That mm-hmm. should yep. be what Kirk's advantage over the Gorn. Um, and it isn't for most of this. Eventually, Kirk figures out how to make a better weapon than a than a obsidian knife, which is looks like what the uh, Gorn has developed. All, um, all, well, the Gorn also built a trap, which Kirk right. didn't build. But the Kirk then steals the Gorn after he shoots the Gorn. He steals the Gorn's obsidian knife and is going to use because he hasn't built an obsidian knife, right? <laughs> and and he's going to use it to cut the Gorn's throat. And that's when he decides that I'm not going to kill him. Right, right. Um, and this is about the, the like after. Um Kirk runs into the very obvious snare trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, um, he's he's going to die, but again, the Gordon moves like it's in molasses, and that's what allows Kirk to escape, uh, even hobbled as he is. And at this point, because the 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 Metrons say because the Enterprise crew may have feelings for the captain, they will be allowed to watch the captain die. <laughs> <laughs> you may have feelings. It's like guys, you read our you read our email, okay? Yeah, you know we have feelings. <laughs> You so, hacked you hacked the enterprise's computers, you read everybody's hard drive, you know about humans. And I it's clear that this part that you know, the writers wrote this in so that we can have Spock noticing the elements that Kirk is going to need to notice and alert the audience to them, right? Yeah. That's what he's doing. So they notice potassium nitrate and then Kirk has already discovered <laughs> how sulfur. Di- how do you how do you diagnose potassium nitrate on screen? It just looks like salt. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know that's not salt? I mean, unless Spock is assuming that the Metrons have, like, like Kirk has not figured out, that the Metrons have left the tools to build a weapon, 
I, I guess, I guess, yeah. But it's all laying there on the surface. Doesn't he doesn't have to mine it out of the ground, so it's all there. Uh, he's gonna. He'll also find coal. Um, oh, and, and that's and oh man. And he and he uses so it all to make gunpowder, right? Yeah, he uses it all to make gunpowder. But okay, you're not making gunpowder by taking large chunks of anthracite or coal and smashing them into smaller chunks of anthracite. It has to be powdered. Yeah, and he's not powdering it. Yeah. Apparently, Mythbusters, the TV show, tested the gunpowder cannon mm-hmm. um, in, on their show like uh, several years ago and deemed it implausible unless the bamboo on Cestus, or not Cestus 3, but on this asteroid, was unusually strong. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Otherwise, it would have just blown it to bits. And it does get blown to bits. I mean, it doesn't completely yeah. fragment, but it does. The one end of it is exploded. It's, this is clearly a one time use cannon. Yeah. Um and in the novelization of this they do talk about the bamboo being harder than earth bamboo. That's good. I'm glad the the, uh, the author of the novelization noticed that too. Um yeah, the the Gorn does tell Kirk stop running and let me kill you, uh which is usually an ineffective technique. Um uh, it is yeah, interesting. Like, uh, that's not what we evolved to do, guy. <laughs> yeah, right. It is interesting that Starfleet uniforms are apparently flammable. Because Kirk uses it as a piece of his uniform as a fuse for yep. the 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 cannon, uh, that seems like a bad idea. Your your uniform should not be flammable. Um, it's McCoy who actually worries as watching this that the as as he hears the the Gorn captain talking, he worries that it's the Federation that was in the wrong because they settled in Gorn territory. So that's kind of interesting that it was McCoy, and and it makes sense for it to be McCoy because he's the bleeding heart, and so he he would he could be a bleeding heart for the Gorn once he understands mm-hmm. their perspective. So I, I thought that was interesting too, and I liked it because it it reinforces that McCoy is a man of conscience who who feels his way through these things, right? And and yet Spock as a man of logic and science, also comes to similar conclusions about, you know, maybe we should, like, there's an ethics in his yeah. logic about destroying your enemy and that sort of thing. So so I like the fact that we have McCoy and Spock both in opposition to the captain's desire for revenge. Uh, and in Kirk this. is off on his own in this one. He's not supported by either of his principal officers. Right. It's symbolized by being alone on the planet, uh, in, in that mm-hmm. sense. Um so, but in the end, Kirk refuses to kill the Gorn, uh, and Kirk demonstrates the advanced trait of mercy, as the Metron so pompously says. <laughs> yeah, and the Metron, who looks like a who looks like a teenager, but he says he's fifteen hundred Earth years old. Yeah, he's a Time Lord. <laughs> yeah, he, he it, it, the Metron's logic at the end is like you showed the advanced trait of mercy. It's like, okay, guys, you read our email. <laughs> yeah, you should know about humans have mercy. Right. You've learned to speak our language. It's, you just used the word mercy. You know we've got that word. Right. We- Therefore, you know we've got that concept. And you can read our records to see how often we display it. And they apparently didn't do due diligence. But then he says, so do you want me to kill the Gorn ship for you? And it's like, <laughs> I just had mercy on this guy. Why are you offering to kill them all? Right. Like you're that, offering to do the thing that I said I'm not going to do, only you're going to do it to an entire ship. Maybe the Metron was just double-checking, like, make sure Kirk wasn't uh, trying to trick him. Oh, yeah, destroy them. No! <laughs> so, uh, in the end, uh, 
the, you know, Kirk is back on board the ship and he's talking to Spock. Um, and the Metron says, you know, as, as you mentioned in your recap, that perhaps in a thousand years, uh, we'll be able to meet the Metrons again. That's what Kirk says. Um, and that's a thousand years. That's kind of the discovery time frame. I wonder mm, if, yeah. if they'll ever, if we're going to see them again on perhaps on discovery, although by the, the, the fourth and fifth season of discovery, the humans have not advanced much over these ones. In fact, they've probably devolved a bit. Yeah, and and Kirk was being optimistic when he said a thousand years because the Gorn said several thousand. The Metron, yeah, the, the Metron, uh, yeah. So let's talk about the Gorn in this versus Star- Strange New Worlds. Like the, the the Strange New World Gorn are much scarier than, yes. than this one. They they not even just in appearance, but even just in behavior and implacability and deadliness. Um, they're they're certainly faster. I mean, maybe this was just like an old slow, like an elderly Gorn. Uh, and he just you know, happened to still be captain or something. But mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to see. And I wonder, you know, is Strange New Worlds going to not reference this episode, obviously, since it takes place later in the timeline, but um, whether we'll whether will be a con- any additional connection to this story uh, or we're just going to sort of rewrite the Gorn in a way like they rewrote Klingons for Discovery. W- what do you think? I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see what they do in season two of Strange New Worlds. Um, the Gorn may or may not continue to be a threat. I'd kind of like them to be a threat. Mm. And so we have we have a problem in that this episode is the classic Star Trek plot. Um, you know, of we meet something, we think it's a threat, eventually we realize it's not, and we hug it out at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, thank you. I've seen this trope a million times. But this is a fun application of it because it's an early version of it before that trope had been done to death. <laughs> and and in Strange New Worlds, they're using the Gorn as a series villain. And and that's incompatible. They need to ramp them up as a huge, enormous threat, not just a misunderstood lizard people we can hug it out at the end with. Yeah. And so we've kind of got the the strange new worlds gorn arc not really fitting well with this episode but i i hope they keep it up i'd rather have interesting gorn stories in the future mm-hmm. than um than just have the one gorn story and and not be able to touch it again right and and it's not dissimilar to how they've retconned other things in star trek like originally the trills didn't didn't look like jadzia Yep. You know, they totally changed their visual appearance. Lots of other races have been retconned. The Borg got a major retcon between mm-hmm. their first and second appearances because originally they are only interested in your technology, not you. And then, and then it turns changed, out they're yeah. majorly interested in you. So yeah. if it means for better storytelling, I don't mind retconning things. I mean, this course is the, the, the original retcon of the Klingons we, when they went from you know, smooth-headed, swarthy, Middle Eastern, vaguely Middle Eastern-looking mm-hmm. villains, like pirates. To bumpy foreheads. Bumpy foreheads, yeah. Uh, so, it, it, yeah, I, I'm not opposed to it. I'm kind of curious whether the current regime of Star Trek people uh, plan on basically just rebooting what we know of the original series and just re- I don't, redo I don't it. think so. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope not. I, I just... I'm okay with inconsistency. I mean, the, the, this, this, the first three seasons of the original series had plenty of inconsistencies internally. 
I'm okay yeah. with inconsistencies. I I say let's just keep moving forward and tell good stories, and I'll be fine with it otherwise. So, any other notes on Arena, Jimmy? Nope. All right. So let's wrap up. Oh things wait, in. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where's my it. Metron translator? I don't have it here. <laughs> All right, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Dion, Jason H., Martin G., Colleen T., and Brant T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of the original series episode, Arena? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the animated series episode, The Magics of Megas 2. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, we're still half-savages, but there's hope. <laughs>